Hi listeners, hi Phil. Hey Laurie, how you doing man? We're recording this super early this week. Yeah, very early in fact. It's almost unlike us. It feels a little bit odd to me to be perfectly honest. Listeners, we're recording this on Monday evening, so you're getting the podcast five days-ish later than it was recorded, which to be honest I feel a bit out of sorts Phil, I don't know whether you can tell. It's almost like a whirlwind of stuff could happen from this point to when it's actually released. And then, who would look like the chumps? Us. Yeah, you're wearing like such a big scarf right now, I don't really understand Do what you you're like doing. Do you like it? It's yeah. so cold, it's Ellie's, and I thought, I'm so cold, I'm just going to wear it. No, no further comments. Listeners, welcome to Season 2, Episode 45 of Super Belly Bros in Movie Land. We've got two blockbuster new films to review for you, or new-ish, I suppose, and we're going to do what we've been watching as well. Older films reviewed for you, at least two of them you can go out and watch straight away afterwards, so that's nice and connected. I think, in fact, it? all of them, maybe. Possibly, yeah, possibly. Mm. Uh, and we're going to do as many emails and tweets as possible, given that the podcast only came out three days ago, and one extra section. Yes, we're going to be talking a bit about books, films, which order, how it affects all that jazz. Or older versions, newer versions, sequels, that all that kind of stuff. The films we've seen this week are Murder on the Orient Express, starring Kenneth Branagh as Poirot, mm. Hercule Poirot, Hercule. Par- par- parrot. <laughs> parrot. and also Laurie's gone to see Bad Moms 2. Well said, <laughs> yeah. said the wrong word. A, ba- <laughs> a Bad Moms Christmas is... Uh, the official title, yes. There'll be your emails at the end of the show. You can email in the show right now if you would like to. Why don't you get your phone out and just tap away Indeed. as you're hearing this. Superbellybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at Superbellybros. Thanks very much to those who support us on patreon.com forward slash Superbellybros. It means we can keep on going. That is the truth. And I have actually already seen Paddington 2, Phil, and we'll be seeing Only the Brave shortly. But I've, we've kind of decided that we're not going to review Paddington 2 on this podcast. We're going to do it next week because we went through a whole shift about three months ago, is it? Where we decided to not review the films that were going to be out the, you know, the same day. Yeah, we were trying to be all like professional and do it ahead of time, you know, like uh, Mr. Mr. Commode and yes. Mayonnaise. And then we realised while we compete with the big boys, lots of our listeners, I think, like listening to us after they've seen the films themselves. So they can disagree with us. Yeah, yeah like it's all about <laughs> hearing other people's viewpoints. We think that's what you guys like. If that's not the case, let us know. Because uh, we, or- could, we could review the films literally as they come out, because especially now I'm doing BBC Oxford's Thursday evening slot, I'm always going to be seeing the films ahead of time. Yeah, so if you'd like to have us suggest films that you go see, or if you'd prefer to have us talk about things after you've seen it, let us know. We'd really like to know what you guys want from us. Yeah, and bear in mind, it pro- it'll mean it's me reviewing them, you know, if you so like if films, you dulcet tones. <laughs> oh no, don't say that, because what if they don't like my dulcet tones? No, 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 of course no one's going to say that, otherwise I wouldn't even bring it up. Uh, and yeah, please do, if you didn't catch it yesterday, please consider tuning in to BBC Radio Oxford on Thursday evenings. I know they would love it if you tuned in, and I would love it as well, although it does mean you're going to get a preview of my thoughts a week ahead of the podcast. And now but the I'm thing is, I quite like it because I think what you need to try and do is slip in on the BBC Oxford is like, if you want to hear more more thoughts from Laurie, check out... You the won't f- see me doing that. That's up to the... That's I know, but I think you now. should suggest to the producer people, you know, get the expanded version of Laurie's thoughts on films. Make it happen. That's my mission. Okay, would you like a thought for the episode before we dive in? Uh, yes. Do you, you know, sound sure about that? Well, I think... I, still, I slightly feel this is an albatross around your neck. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not excited about it. Like I said, I nearly laid it at the side. Like it was it a disused flag? This didn't make any sense. <laughs> laid out the flag. Let's do it quickly because it's nice synergy with your section later on. Okay. I was on the tube on Saturday in uh, London, 
And I had that odd experience of reading a book because there's no signal down there. I didn't have any games on my phone to play. So I was reading a book. It was book three of The Expanse. Are you familiar with The Expanse? Yeah, it's a new Netflix TV show, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's based on these books that came out a while ago. Gotta say, listeners, I'm quite disappointed by the books. I think the writing standard is not really up to snuff. But it did make me think. Like, it's got a, a really garish cover and it's called Abaddon's Gate. And do you ever have that thing where you see the title very clearly of a book that someone else is reading on the tube? And that you can't help either being curious about what it is or instantly making some kind of judgment or assumption about the person reading it. Yes, I have. I remember very clearly an English poster that was on the wall in my classroom. Uh, It was for some sort of weird sci-fi novel where there was a big lizard thing with a city on its back. And I was like, wow, what's that? Why is there a lizard with a a city on its back? And so sometimes these covers, you know, they say don't judge a book by its cover. I think that's what everyone's doing all the time. That's why they make the covers. Otherwise, (laughs) it'd just be a white page with the title. (laughs) They wouldn't bother, would they? But it does make me think. I mean, I went the other way with this. In one of the uh, screenings I went to where there were proper critics around and everything else, it was in a fancy hotel. I deliberately, I mean, I say deliberately, it wasn't quite as premeditated as this. I wanted to have my thoughts on a higher plane that day, Phil. So I was reading a book called Zen uh, and Japanese Culture. And it's a very it's like a black book from years and years ago by some kind of amazing uh, historian or something. And I thought, if anyone looks at me, I'm reading, I'm literally reading a book on Is Zen. Is that what you were going as for Halloween? An idiot. <laughs> oh, that's good, man. Too late, though, because Halloween was, you know, like last week. <laughs> okay, so, uh, But anyway, hey, I thought oh, of it. Hey, I it's thought. not on my face. I'm not an idiot. I'm not an idiot. Uh, anyway, that was just a random thought I had, listeners. Do you ever judge people by their books cover? How about that? <laughs> oh, yeah, I like that. That's good. Thank you. That sounds like an article. Well, maybe it should be one, Phil. I often think we ought to just write this stuff down. You never know. Anyway, let's get going, shall we? Yes. Listeners, I just pulled up the IMDb page for Murder on the Orient Express because I often do this so that we can look like we're amazing when it comes to remembering actors' names. I'm pretty good at it. You're much better than me, certainly. I'm terrible at that stuff, man. Uh, And the first thing that I saw as I scrolled down the page was that the featured user review, so credit to whoever Rick Masters is in England, his headline just made me chuckle. I can't really stop chuckling about it. The headline is First Class Entertainment. <laughs> Capitalise the word train as well. <laughs> Entertainment. Love it. He doesn't so even mention it again. Yeah, fantastic. Well done, uh, Rick Masters. <laughs> if anyone knows Rick, you know, send him our thumbs up. Give him anyway, a pat on the back. Phil. This is a modern version directed by Kenneth Branagh and starring Kenneth Branagh of Agatha Christie's well-famous, world-famous novel, Murder on the Orient Express. It stars... Uh, her recurring character, Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot. Probably yes. the best detective in the world. He's world famous as this moustached... Mustachioed. Mustachioed Belgian detective who travels all over solving these crimes that he encounters. Uh, he just so happens to be going on the uh, Orient Express with a, a group of random, tra- random strangers who all have very peculiar lives going on. And during the journey, they get stuck by an avalanche. Their train gets stuck... And in the interim, one of the passengers gets murdered. And here it is, the detective, the world-famous detective, has got a very limited number of suspects. It has to be someone on the train. And he is going to investigate and find out. And maybe all of these passengers are not quite as they seem. Quite right. The tagline the film uses is that everyone is a suspect. And, I mean, I immediately said it's not true because in the film it's very clearly explained that two people are not, one of whom is Poirot, of course. (laughs) So, you know... (laughs) 
and the murder guy is in one. Yeah, it's what an interesting film. I mean, listeners may well have come across or heard of the 1974 version because that had Ingrid Bergman in it. It had Lauren Bacall, Sean Connery. Like, I mean, huge, huge names at the time. Uh, Jacqueline Bisset as well, all those guys. And I mean, this film is a, it's not quite a carbon copy, is it? But it's got the same sort of hallmarks on it. It's, it's interesting. A lot of people I spoke to said, oh, they look like they're just thrown as many stars as it as possible to try and convince you to go and see it. But I think that's not, it's not quite as cynical as that, is it? No, it's got an impressive cast list with pretty much every single character having someone famous attached. You've got Daisy Ridley, you've got Johnny Depp, you've got Josh Gad, you've got Michelle Pfeiffer mm-hmm. in there as well. Judy Dench. Judy Dench Will is there. Defoe. Olivia Coleman. Derek Jacoby. It basically, every single character has got some high-profile actor attached to it. And I think that is not some sort of stunt casting. It's not a gimmick, no. I think, in fact, that is Kenneth Branagh, a kind of well-regarded thespian and very connected actor, putting his strings to make his movie as richly uh, done as possible. Well, and actually, it really bears out in the formatting of the whole thing, because, I mean, Agatha Christie wrote it as a murder mystery novel, and there's a sort of Cluedo-esque vibe going on here where there are so many characters. Is it 10, I think, suspects I think it's 12, in fact. Maybe 12. And each of them, you know, you've got to go into their backstory. She was famous. The whole Poirot thing was famous for having characters in it, all of whom have something to be discovered, not just the person who turns out to be the murderer. And that means that each character only gets a limited amount of screen time. But in that limited amount of screen time, they essentially have a monologue, don't they? That they've got to perform really well to communicate the whole character. So it does make sense to cast these venerable star-studded actors because that's the kind of thing they want, isn't it? Yeah, Agatha Christie, as you said, she is not just interested in the how of the murder mystery, but she's also interested in the why. And the way that she deals with the why is to give everyone an interesting why, but not necessarily tied to the murder. But I think we should come back to that when we do the actual review because it, it I don't think it works necessarily the way that it's always intended to. But for now, should we do a trailer? Yes. And this trailer is quite interesting, and I'll tell you why afterwards. Okay, here we go. You know, there is something about that tangle of strangers pressed together for days with nothing in common but the need to go from one place to another and never see each other again. I see evil on this train. A passenger has died. So they got him after all. You assume he was killed? No, 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 not. Well, he was in perfectly good health. He, he had his enemies. Indeed, he was murdered. God, murder here. God rest his soul. Someone was rummaging around my cabin in the middle of the night. No one would listen to me. If there was a murder... What is going on? Then there was a murderer. The murderer is with us. And every one of you is a suspect. And who are you? My name is Hercule Poirot, and I'm probably the greatest detective in the world. Yeah, well, you love the music in that, didn't you? Uh, not just myself, lots of other people. And I, it's quite interesting because clearly they're trying to market it to younger audiences, I would mm. say, with that soundtrack. And the neon writing as well, and the apparent action scenes that were not present in Christie's novel. It's sort of like the Baz Luhrmann does a murder mystery in, in the way that it's being marketed. And I think that's because they know the people who know the story will come along and see it. But 
people who don't know about it, they'll go because of the excitement around it. Some mm. sort of peculiar thing. Of and buzz. this character with this ginormous moustache. It's a bit of a slow week as well, with the only competition being Bad Mom's Christmas, whatever it is, for new releases. Phil, what do you think of the film? I loved some aspects of it, but I do have my reservations. Okay. Not on the train about the film someone uh, emailed us this week and we'll come to it later in the episode to reiterate that they feel we need to begin with positives so would you like to give us yours I will give my major positive in fact for the whole movie and it goes towards Mr Kenneth Branagh Sir oh, really? Kenneth Branagh I think he is isn't Sir, he I believe so yeah I think he was fantastic as Prowo and I thought he was very charming serious dramatic and there was a sense of fun to his character all the time even though he was dealing with murder. And I thought that was great. Mm. I really liked the look of him, even though it's been much talked about, their silly moustache that kind of... Well, they use a bit of beard, It's a really. spectacular moustache. Yeah, and it's it's quite inventive in the way that I don't think I've ever seen a beard tash like it. Yeah, no, it's really... You'll be sort of dazzled by it, listeners, and because it's in 4K Ultra HD or whatever it is, you can see every bristle. You can see the composition of that moustache. And it is marvellously impeccably kept. Yeah, anything else besides Branner and the moustache? Well, also, it goes back to Mr. Branner as well, because I think the direction is very, very good. I really enjoyed it. I loved the angles that he got out. I really liked how he structured it. I loved the tone that he managed to evoke. It was surprisingly light-hearted and fun and comedic. Mm. There wasn't a serious sort of intensity it doesn't need to be dramatic all the time instead he sort of glides through life but then he's confronted with some awful difficult ethical issues that then he wrestles with seriously and i really love the balance i love the fact that there was light and dark in this this story which could easily be super about the darkness yeah, as true. most films are these days and is that those are your main two positives are they i think those are my my favorite things i mean i mentioned the look of the film i think the look of the film is incredible the fact that it's basically all set on a train and that it's a train that's stuck, it's not even moving, you can't mm. even do the background shots. Mm. I think it's impressive that it feels exciting and visually engaging throughout. And again, that comes down to Kenneth. You think so? Well, I mean, we overlap on a couple of points there, Phil. And I feel like you may have stolen a couple of my things. Because did we talk about this at the weekend? You said something about how you'd never realised how many shots you could get out, out of a train. train. Yeah, so we, we agree very much. So I think Kenneth Branagh's direction is really impressive. The film moves along. It's got a good pace. It doesn't feel like it drags. I think... He's incredibly creative with shooting actors in tiny little rooms. He, I mean, if you actually think about it, as we're saying, it really is quite remarkable, the amount of angles, but also styles of shot that are worked into this film with just the one location, but it feels like a cohesive whole. It just doesn't sort of jar the different styles that he takes. I mean, think about it. There's a point where he interviews, Poirot interviews a countess, and you see her through the sort of sheer curtains of the room, mm-hmm. and then she emerges. That's one way of doing it, a bit of depth. But then you also have the like bog standard claustrophobic thing of rooms feeling too small for a couple of the others they do uh, interviews in the dining car they do interviews outside daisy risley's character gets a seat outside in the frozen sort of surroundings uh, they do shots from outside the train there's some really nice sort of dolly shots uh, following poirot as he walks onto the train but you see it from outside through the windows and then there were those board game shots which really made it feel like cludo where what you the ones just above the yeah, god's the eye stuff yeah 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 uh, so i was absolutely blown away by that it didn't interrupt. It really enhanced it. And as you say, the production, everything is lavish and extraordinary. The music's on point. The costumes are incredible for everybody. 
The upholstery looks amazing. It reminded me of the Hogwarts Express. And I did think if J.K. Rowling ever needs to go in a new direction, murder on the Hogwarts Express, come on. <laughs> who wouldn't see that? Get the auras involved. <laughs> How good would that be? That would be a good one. That would be Fantastic Beast 7. Well, yeah, probably will be now, won't it? Yeah. But I thought all of that was working really, really well. My key thing that I didn't like goes directly against the third thing you did like because I thought Branas Poirot was not right at all. Now, I have to admit, I haven't really ever watched any of them. I've, I've seen, what's his name? Sidney Poitier's... Uh, Poitier? What are you what's talking about? Sidney Poitier's the guy in The Heat of the Night. Mr. Chip, Mr. Oh, Tibbs. right. What's his they name? Who's the guy who did it the... before? Uh, you're talking about David Suchet. Oh, I knew it was some funny name. It's absolutely not similar in the slightest. <laughs> Sidney Poitier sounds like a Hercule Poirot he, character, that is just does it not? rubbish. Just he's French, he's got a French I don't know. I'm out of my depth. That's look, what look I'm, I'm trying to say <laughs> right now that I am out of my depth. I do not... I haven't read any of these stories. I'm with you. I went into this story blind and for me I didn't have any preconceived notions of who this character was and I thought he was good well me neither because I've not really watched the TV shows but I have seen the 1974 version in which he's played by Albert Finney who's one of these classic actors who's come up through the ranks and Albert Finney's version is very like super eccentric in a a weirdly clownish way and very over the top his accent his expressions he sort of bounces around with a lot of energy but I then because I was doing my homework to get this done for the BBC I was reading up a lot about Agatha Christie and about Poirot and the key thing that stood out to me in the way that she describes her own character is she says that his head is shaped almost exactly like an egg and he had the finest moustache in all of England that even if he was wearing like a balaclava you'd still see the points peeking out that kind of thing Kenneth Branagh did not look anything like an egghead to me Phil Kenneth Branagh's Poirot is just super handsome and dashing I thought he was like he spent the entire film being quirky yes but charming. Did you not think? I was thinking, how's he done that? His hair's like I've got a perfect centre parting and it's like exactly the right shade of grey. That moustache is incredible. Wow, I didn't realise his eyes were so blue. You, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, but I don't see that as a problem. But it isn't Poirot, man. One of the things about Poirot is that he's a bit clownish, but he's got an incredibly penetrating mind. And one of the other things as well that Agatha Christie points out is Poirot is a master manipulator. He lies about his past and tells fake stories about his past in order to gain the sympathy and trust of the people that he interviews. Poirot is a cunning, clever man who throws people off with his weird eccentricities. People don't take him seriously, so he's able to get under their guard. This Poirot is like the literal opposite of that. Everyone's just intimidated by his mystique and his charming presence. His celebrity. I'm right, aren't I? Uh, yes, but I think that comes on to one of my problems with the the film. Uh, I think there are a lot of positives, just to be very clear to any listeners who might want to turn us off. My negatives, if they are such, is the fact that I feel like by the nature of the story, the things which you are led to enjoy about his character, his investigation, his talents become redundant as the movie goes on. Okay. And actually, I felt quite cheated by the conclusion of this film. But that's an accusation at Agatha Christie. Which is true. But I again, I think if you're... If there's a problem with the sauce, change the sauce. Well, mm. where, make it into a mustard, you could say. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. I don't know, I don't know where I'm going. Let me carry on with it. We'll come back to that as well, because I think that is worth talking about. But I want to say that the thing I'm mentioning about Poirot does have consequences. And you can see Kenneth Branagh's fingerprints all over it as the director as well. Because not only does he play Poirot as a quirky but serious and Earnest charismatic man. person that people sort of naturally like. You kind of expect them to fall in love with him or something. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But also he gets way more time 
1974 version, for example, and specifically, Kenneth Branagh has included weirdy, sort of Shakespearean-y monologues that Poirot just speaks to himself. Like there were three separate occasions where he holds up an old photograph of a lady he once loved and just says her name. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Catherine. Oh, Catherine. <laughs> what are you doing, Kenneth? That's not Poirot, man. And, like, and, and he also has moments where he sort of stares into the distance and say, if only we could but know the truth. <laughs> like, it's suddenly, what are you doing? Like, he's hand it up in the weirdest way and he literally can't escape because he is the star and the director. He's like, he's just filled this film with his version of Poirot, which is not really, I can imagine, what Poirot diehards want. And I also think it's, I, there's sort of an excuse for it that you, it's not really a viable one in my book anyway, because at the end... Do you agree with me that there's a hint that this is meant to be a new franchise? Yeah, uh, and I'd very much like to see the next one. They're if trying there was to create one. a mild-mannered Sherlock Holmes for the big screen, and I think that's why they've allowed Poirot to have these weird extra dimensions of personality that really shouldn't be there. Anyway, I, that, that's, my, that's all my stuff, really. I would say I disagree with you. I think he's engaging and fun, and he's likeable. And if you're going to have somebody who is going to be the lead and the kind of connection to all the rest of these strange cast of characters, I think having a strong, confident, distinctive character that you like is not a bad thing. And it works much no, better in well, the movie. Yeah, I think if he was in the background... Poirot, and this is kind of moving into a segment we're going to do later, is that, Phil? He's all those things, but he is more closer to the way that Agatha Christie portrayed him. Whereas this Poirot, yeah, you're right, has got all those likeable characteristics. It's just different. It's a different character. Different he makes, isn't he's bad, He's this sort though. of OCD guy who wants everything to be right and wrong. And by the end, he's like, mm, but is there right and wrong? <laughs> well, way to go. What, what I, I just think, get off your high horse a little I'm bit. I'm not trying to be high and, on this. I, I mean, if, if that was the case, you'd be complaining about Frodo not being a 50-year-old in the Lord of the Rings and uh, movie, movies change because they need to work better and I think this it works I think this Even, is a more boring Poirot mm, disagree I enjoyed him and okay. I had a good fi- a good time it'd be interesting to hear what listeners think especially listeners who know the character inside and out sure I mean and I don't I'm purely basing it off what I've read and the 1974 version which I, mean, I wasn't even a big fan of anyway uh, I wonder how it will do. I wonder if it will be successful. I'm hoping it will be. I'd very much like to see the next one, if there is, uh, Murder on the Nile. I've heard that one's very good as well. Uh-huh, uh, sure. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And I really like the world that it created and the atmosphere. I like the idea of this world famous detective and uh, his uh, deductions. I found it a much more enjoyable character than Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock Holmes or oh, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, or no, anything like that. Yeah. And I think anything to get away from this sort of anti-social detective I'm yeah, quite a fan of. Yeah, it's becoming a bit annoying, isn't it? Yeah, it's very in vogue at the moment. I just don't like it. So I mean, he, has a, he has a little side of that, but he's much more likeable. Much yes. more likeable, much more interesting. Well, let us see what comes to pass. The film, for me, Phil, would get a B-. I'm going to give it an A-. minus. I really did enjoy it, but I do feel massively frustrated with the source material sure, sure, and sure. the ending. It so def- there you this go. time of the year, listeners, it's a very warm, cosy, atmospheric film, for sure. And there's a lot to enjoy. So B-, minus. please don't take that as a really negative grade i don't think it's very good but it's enjoyable for sure well there you go there's two different opinions but similar points being raised email in if you've got your own verdict and give us a plus one or minus one for laurie or myself if you agree with one of us over the other and do give us your thoughts as well we'd like to hear what you made of it and in particular if you've read the book as well get in touch yeah superbelly bros at gmail.com at superbelly bros on twitter 
Phil, it's the film you've been waiting for. No, it isn't. A Bad Mom's Christmas. Did you see the first one or not? No, you saw it, and I'm so glad you did. I felt like I dodged a bullet, and I cannot believe they managed to turn it around. It must have been the fastest turnaround ever. It's a really surprising choice for a sequel, I have to admit, because I don't believe the first one did very well for critics or really at the box office. It's that kind of very, very safe, generic Christmas hit. And they figure they can just get another out of it. But like, remember Bad Santa 2 that came out last year? That was awful, awful, awful. <laughs> you awful. didn't like that either. No, I, I actually really physically hated <laughs> Except for Santa one line two. or something like that. I it's something like that. Yeah, I thought it was reprehensible garbage, basically. <laughs> uh, this one, Mad Mom's Christmas. Well, yeah, all right, listeners. So Bad Moms, if you remember it, you probably don't. Features Kristen Bell and Mila Kunis and Catherine Hahn as three mums who are very, very different, but all unite over the fact that they hate the expectations that society maybe themselves put on themselves <laughs> to be perfect mums. And then they kind of get over that uh, through the course of the film. And they realise, actually, they don't need to be perfect. Actually, they just need to love their kids and blah, blah, blah. You get the picture, right? You know, you and I, maybe that's not a message particularly for us, Phil, not being mothers ourselves. But I think I was willing at the end of Bad Moms to think this probably does resonate a lot more strongly with a certain demographic than me. Still didn't like the film. This film, you know, well, are we glad to see these characters back? Probably not. And the first 30 minutes basically reminded me why I hated the first film. The first 30 minutes of this movie, listeners, are dire. They may be the most dire 30 minutes of cinema I've seen so far in 2017. Not an original joke, not an original line, not an original character, not an original approach to directing. There's like a, you know, one of these montages where they get up to no good to a rock track this like it just can't quite believe how lacking in ideas and inspiration it is they look like they just don't care and i think there is something to that because i don't think even the makers care about bad moms because they basically dispense with the whole bad mom idea after that first half an hour and then it becomes what you're about to hear in the trailer which is that really forget the bad moms part of it let's just have mothers trying to deal with christmas but then their mothers turn up as well and it's oh. all yeah oh, oh, oh and it's all actually about how mums relate to their mums and the grandchildren and all that at christmas forget Such the bad an moms. original idea yeah but it's, it's not original but it also isn't bad moms it's got nothing to do with bad moms it's like they just needed a christmas film so it's like well here we go anyway listeners here is <laughs> they the should trailer. have called it mom's moms <laughs> <laughs> Here's the clip. I've always loved Christmas, but as a mom, it's a lot of work. In between the wrapping, the shopping, the cooking, the decorating. Sweetie, we don't drink the tree water. Because we're people, right? Oh, God, make it stop. There's almost no time to actually enjoy it. And only one thing. Oh, no. What is it? Could make it even more stressful. My mother's coming for Christmas. Everything's gonna be fine. She's the most critical human being on the planet. I can't fix that. I'm not Beyonce. You ain't nothing. Mom? Hi, Mom. Hey, May. Mom? I'm here to see my daughter on Easter. Christmas. Christmas. I cannot wait to spend every waking minute with you. Oh, no. Where's your tree? I guess she's been a little busy. No, clearly not at the gym. Woof. I'm a 34-year-old woman, and she's still telling me how to live my life. My mom got her hair cut and colored exactly like mine. Is that normal? We don't like to use the word normal. You are going to be my best friend forever. Yes. I want to throw a Christmas party. Where? My house? Yes. And 184 people are coming. How much did this cost? Can you put a price tag on Wonder? I actually just wanted to enjoy Christmas this year. You are a mom. Moms don't enjoy, they give joy. She's going to keep treating you like this until you fight her. Physically? I don't want you to meet my mom. No, 
My daughter thinks that I'm so hard on her, but I had a horrible mother. She once slapped me for wearing open-toed shoes on a sailboat. It was a different time then. It was two months ago. I'm kind of on a first date with Santa number two. How did you guys meet? Oh, waxing his business. Oh my God. It looks like a parking car. He has such kind eyes. Put a baby in me, Santa number two! Every time I think I'm the weird one in this group, you open your mouth. We went to prom together. Oh, Lord. And then I'm like, I'm doing great. <laughs> Here's the thing which I'm immediately wondering is who have they got as the mums of the mums? Yeah, well, actually, you know, this will be a fairly quick review, listeners. The mums are the, the grand mums are the ones that steal the show. Susan Sarandon is in it, playing Catherine Hahn's mum. She plays her as a kind of freewheeling, you know, not tied down to anything lazy mother yeah maverick mother she smokes she's very rude she comes and asks her daughter for money and then just leaves again and doesn't appear to care about her daughter or her grandson or anything like that then christine baranski that name you recognize phil no she's in the good wife and she is the boss of the law firm she's kind of perfectly made to play this kind of slightly uptight classic american mother is she the mum? i'm gonna take a punt here listeners i don't know is she the mum or the grandmother in george of the jungle uh no i know why you say that but very similar sort of character you know she's very sort of stiff upper lip and likes to spend a lot of money and society is very very important to her and reputation so similar sort of character yeah well she's mila kunis's mother which didn't make much sense but it does as the film goes on and then the third mother is cheryl hines and she is larry david's wife in curb enthusiasm yeah i don't know where else she's from but she plays Kristen bell's mother and Kristen bell's character is very sort of uh kind nice. of nice yeah very nice you know to use a word that i don't really like but it does do the job quite mumsy as it were and her mother basically they exaggerated caricatures of the daughters in the film and you know they cause all kinds of problems no real surprises listeners except for the fact that it won me over what? against all odds and I think that has to go down to the fact I was in a cinema filled with groups uh, of women and they loved it. They were laughing the entire time. You know, that's not sexist, listeners. That's just a fact. Those are the people who were in the cinema and they were laughing from minute one. I couldn't agree with them in the first half hour. But as the film went on, I found myself chuckling. It's got a very earnest kind of Christmassy nonsense, you know, just sprinkled with a tad of crassness and crudity. That I think it's quite hard not to laugh in a few places. Really? Ka- yeah, Catherine Hahn in particular is very gifted at this sort of thing. She's got a very good dry delivery, and even though all her scenes are really obvious, you know, you heard it in the in the trailer there, listeners. She finds herself very attracted to one of her clients for whom she is waxing a part of the body, <laughs> and he, you know, it. it is sort of yeah enough said said. no 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 it's just a nice contrast because he plays a sort of romantic lead who's very chivalrous while also at the same time being an exotic dancer and you know it's just it's base it's obvious but actually it is quite good and there are even some quite nice you know sympathetic moral ideas in there as well I I quite appreciate it it's got a lot to do with learning to appreciate people even when they're at their worst and about identifying 
the special bond between a mother and daughter that, you know, is quite hard to define and changes between families. But in this case, anyway, it's one that is very, very hard to break down. So I really liked it. I thought Christine Baranski in particular was incredibly irritate, irritating and stereotypical for a long time, but then became very sympathetic and, and interesting. I liked it. Do you her. think the Christmas angle plays? Does it count as a Christmas movie? Yeah, it does. It knows what it's doing, Phil. I mean, Hollywood definitely know how to take advantage of the season. It even ends with a dance-off, right? Um, <laughs> that's quite enjoyable. I, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Uh, but it just feels so middle of the road, obvious. It is, it is, it is, it is, it is, it is all those things. But if you know what you're getting, you know what you're buying your ticket for, you can't miss it. It's a bad mom's Christmas, for goodness sake. You're probably going to enjoy it. That's what you want. That's what you get. Should we leave it there? I think we probably should leave it there. I do want to give an extra notice to Sandy off the OC, who we loved while he was in the OC. I don't even know the actor's name. I could look it up, but I won't because he's just Sandy. Sandy Cohen. The OC. Sandy Best Cohen. dad in uh, all of California. That's right. He was brilliant in that. He's pretty good in this again, even though it's quite a thankless role. And a special negative, unfortunately. You know, I normally like her in films, actually, Phil. I liked her, especially in Jupiter Ascending, which everyone just lambasted, but I kind of liked as a bit of a guilty pleasure. Mila Kunis is not at her strongest here. I'm going to have to say... I. I just don't think she's very good altogether. Do you think not? I cannot think of a role where I thought, oh, good, she's in it and what she offers. I feel like the only thing she really has to offer is she is kind of like a non-standard version of a lady. She's a lady with an edge, I think. Okay, so but- she so she is a sort of leading lady. She can do the job. She can play a romantic lead. She can play a superhero lead, as she does in Jupiter, Ascend- Jupiter Ascending. She can do all those things without being... I don't know, play live. Completely typical, yeah, but yeah. I feel like it's a safety edge rather than like an actual sharp edge. Possibly you're right. She is a mother in real life, so I'm sure that's part of it. But I think also she just, her part is poorly written because she's Mrs. Exposition. She is the person through whom we sort of have to see things start happening. And she kind of has a non character. Yeah, whereas Kristen Bell and Catherine Hahn are both more reactive, which means there's just more personality there. Kristen Bell's great again. Her mother does this brilliant thing of wearing clothes with her daughter's face all over it. <laughs> you know, that's just funny. Like, that's a good example. That's a good natured joke. You chuckled even now. Imagine that there's more of that after the first half hour. You'd laugh too, I think, Phil. Maybe I would, but I just don't... I think it's the sort of movie that I don't really want to fund because I don't really want more of this sort of cheap, I could do with more of this. stuff. I could do with more of this. Less of Christopher Nolan. <laughs> not really. That's oh, sorry, that's ridiculous. Such stupid fighting talk that it's not even... I, pretend I didn't say that, please, listeners. But I am willing to bet, Phil, several of our listeners, at the very least, will go and watch this and have a great time. And they're yeah, going to email enough, in and enough. give me a plus one. So <laughs> please do uh, superbellybros at gmail.com, at superbellybros on Twitter. The grade from me, listeners, it's a B- minus as well. Similar, similar enjoyment Same to Murder the... on the Orient Express. Oh, I can't believe For that. For me, it was a similar level Fair of enjoyment. Enough. I can't I, deny it. I, I'm, I'm aghast. I can't tell a lie. Laurie, I've heard you in the past uh, be critical of a certain Studio Jubilee film for not having a plot. Really? Do you know which film I'm talking about? I think I do, but more because of what we said before we started recording than what you just said <laughs> play now. Play along, play along, play along. Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah, I think I remember you challenging the listeners on this podcast, if you can email in what the plot is about, good luck to you. It's incredibly isn't... nonsensical, but beautiful. There is not really a plot to it, is there, in the film? It's sort of bizarre in the sense that characters pop up and suddenly there's a MacGuffin that reveals to solve everything for some unknown reason and it's all clouded in this bizarre war that you don't really get to see. And particular character motivations appear to change and different characters drive the action but for apparently no reason. There's nothing to cause that. 
Yeah, but again, like you say, it is a beautiful film and full of enchanting visuals and atmosphere. The music is great. There's a calmness to all the voice acting mm. that really serves the It's very the transportative, if that's a phrase. I don't think it is. Well, anyway, because I had seen House Moving Castle and I enjoyed it, I thought I'd find out what this book that it was based on was like. So I mm. read the book, the novel it's by... It's a British author, isn't it? By, yeah, a Welsh author, I believe. Okay. By Diane something Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> You're picking up this author. She's like, Diane something Jones. I'm actually typing in, listeners. Here's a live experiment. Diane oh, come on, something the... Jones. Let's see what comes up. Come on, come on. I'll, I'll put in Howl's Moving Castle to save your blushes as well, Phil. Here we go. This come up, on, computer. Come on, computer. No, this is fun stuff. Diana Wynne Jones. Good job, man. Well, there you go. Diane Wynne Jones. She wrote this book, and it's actually a series of books. There's uh, sequels to this uh, original first one, and it's called House of Moon Castle. Uh-huh. And I thought I'd check it out. And it was a very bizarre experience because I'm sure lots of people have had experiences of reading a book after seeing the movie, or reading a book and then watching the movie because it, and and being a fan or discovering something afterwards. This, I think, is the first and only time where I've watched a book and it's actively spoilt the enjoyment of a film I'd already seen. That Because you liked House of Castle as well. Yes, I did. And I often defended it and said, oh, it kind of makes sense. And I kind of got the general gist of the plot and who was doing what. Can you hit us with some details without spoiling it? So what is amazing is the fact that uh, there's a whole uh, part of the novel which is not really in the movie at all. One of the doors that Hal has, you know, he's got that magic yeah, door yeah, that yeah. can you twist the knob and you can go to different places. One of the places he goes to is Wales. He actually oh, goes right. to Wales ah. and he goes and visits a, a teacher there with Sophie, who's from yeah, a yeah, very yeah. old and D version of the world, sort of England with magic really. and everything like that. Yeah, but and she's confounded by the fact that there's a car, a, a magic carriage that drives them places, and Hal goes off to the rugby team, like social, and he gets sloshed what? in the book. Yeah, and so there's. This whole aspect of it that's not in the movie at all and also the plot is way more coherent in the novel it's yeah. absolutely baffling that the novel got kind of confused to the point where there isn't really a plot and characters just sort of do things for bizarre reasons and they appear and transform for no real reason and what it ultimately comes down to is Hayao Miyazaki's love of war and flying yeah sure He's got. He's one of these guys, in case you didn't listen to it, listeners, there's a fantastic documentary, I can't remember what it's called now, but we reviewed it on this podcast, which looked into the life of Studio Ghibli. And it was one thing that is incredibly clear about that is that Hayao, Hayao Miyazaki is one of these singular vision guys, and he literally just does what he wants, and everyone goes with it. So I don't doubt at all that you're right, Phil. But what is very strange is that some of the sequences in the book are so cinematic, I can't believe that they wouldn't want to do it. So in the book, there's a sequence where the Witch of the Waste, you know, the very fat witch, um, she fights Howl and they have a kind of sky battle where they jump on clouds and shoot lightning at each other. Oh, wow. And you think, why on earth would that not be in a movie? Especially like a Ghibli film. Yeah, it's so exciting and magical. And yet it wasn't in there. Instead, they had Howl as a bird bombing stuff (laughs) or something. (laughs) And it's sort of like... What? Why? And listeners, I was basically curious if this has happened to anyone else where they've read the source material for a film that they'd already seen and it's actively spoiled their enjoyment for a film. Or watched an earlier version of a, a film, for example. Yeah, and normally it's very much the other way around. Often you read a book and then you see the film and you think, oh, this is nowhere near as good as the book mm-hmm. because of the extra information. But generally speaking, in my experience, if you've seen the film and then gone to read the source novel or the the source, of the originator of the idea, 
the film remains something which you enjoy and the source novel is just extra it's bonus yeah and yet this one actively it frustrated me that they could spoil something well yeah i know exactly what you mean phil that i mean it, like you say it's very very odd i've got one that's not really a film now so it's annoying but the immediate example that jumps into my head but because i mentioned it in the intro is that i saw the first series of the expanse on netflix i think during paternity leave when i was exhausted but i quite enjoyed it and i thought oh this is really interesting it's a different angle on space i'd like to read this novel series that it's based on and the books are so much worse than the TV show that I kind of don't understand what's happened. It's, it's, that, it's I almost like, in the reverse. Yeah, that's the wrong way around. Like, the book should not be worse, I don't think, than the film. At the very least, it shouldn't be, like, a bad experience. And what's really interesting about that is that one of the writers of the novels is the screenwriter, or at least contributes a huge portion of the screenplay to the TV show. So it's almost like he's redrafting. Why didn't you do that before you published the book? (laughs) So you're seeing a better edited, better thought through version of the story, but on TV, which is just unusual, I think. That is very strange. But that does happen. In fact, uh, you could argue that some things like The Shining improve the original. And, uh, well, if you look at something like Jimi Hendrix's cover of All Along the Watchtower... Uh Uh-huh. Bob Dylan said it was the best version of that song, even though he wrote he the did, song. He did, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. And so, listeners, in some ways, this is just my little encounter with something peculiar. And I want to see if anyone else had any experience with that. I'm sure there's plenty of people who are massive fans of the Pride and Prejudice TV series, and then they watched the Keira Knightley film and said, oh, this is Tosh. I love that film. And then I read the book, and I love the book. But here's something a bit different, and maybe you've had a similar experience. I'd really be interested to see if there is a trend or a reason why that happens so get in touch superbaileybros at gmail.com or tweet at superbaileybros. Nice. Thanks. Right, what we've been watching, listeners, it's back after our break. These are, well, we're actually going to do three uh, films that came out a while ago that you can watch on streaming services or rent or whatever. Yes, so I'm going to do Jackie, which is on Amazon Prime right now, and also Mystic Pizza, which is on Netflix, mm. Julia Roberts's first on-screen debut, I think. Is that right, really? Yes. And I am going to review Surrogates, which is a Bruce Willis and Rosamund Pike film. I caught on TV, but it's available on all the platforms. You might not want to... (laughs) Anyway, we'll come back to that later. Do you want to give us your thoughts on Jackie in a sort of bite-sized format, Phil, before doing the proper one? Yes, because Laurie has already reviewed Jackie, I'm just going to give a quick update on my own verdict. Do you want a trailer in there or not? I think it'd be nice to, just to give people an idea. Okay. Jackie. People like to believe in fairy tales. Ready? Of course. And you? I believe that the characters we read about on the page end up being more real than the men who stand beside us. People need their history. They need to know that real men actually lived here. I've grown accustomed to a great divide between what people believe and what I know to be real. And how would you like him remembered? There should be more horses, more soldiers. Why are you doing this, Mrs. Kennedy? There's more crying, more cameras. This is making us look like barbarians. What's wrong with you? You don't have to do this. I will march with Jack. Breathe, Alone, if necessary. real was performance 
I'm guessing you won't allow me to write any of that. No, because I never said that. Listeners, this is the story of Jackie Kennedy, and in some ways it's biopic, but it's essentially dealing with her handling and uh, the weeks around her husband's death, John F. Kennedy. And it's quite appropriate with the recent revelations coming out about information to do with the assassination. Mm. And Laurie, you had waxed lyrical about this film and how wonderful it. it was. And I have to say, I agree with you. I thought it was stunning and genuinely possibly one of the more powerful films i've seen whatever yeah i think so because it just arrests you with uh nassie portman's performance with the music the visuals everything about it is so impactful so in your face and so challenging to what you might have conceived about this incident i think what really staggered me about the film and you mentioned it as well is the fact that you're seeing behind the scenes so to speak on her life intimate technically but at the same time there's this air of mystery there's distance and you realize in the process of seeing behind the public persona of jackie kennedy that actually you have no idea what she dealt with yeah totally man i'm so glad to hear you say that because i thought that was really important the closer you get to her the more you realize you cannot you just can't you cannot get close to her the the scene which was absolutely heartbreaking was her looking in the mirror dealing oh. with the mess of the the cavalcade and all the the incidents and uh, it was amazing seeing the recreation of moments that are in ph- photographs so uh, there's an amazing subreddit on reddit which colorizes old photographs it gives color to black yeah, and white yeah, photos yeah. and there is the color photograph of uh, Lyndon B Johnson being sworn in on Air Force 1 with Jackie Kennedy standing b- beside him yeah. looking absolutely forlorn it's literally just afterwards wasn't it mm. yeah immediately afterwards listeners i think you need to see this film and it's one of those films which i think it really does help if you have some knowledge of the incident that it's about and i think most people will have enough that they could go and see it regardless i do think that yeah but for me this is something i studied listeners this is something i i investigated uh, during my degree and i thought it was amazing that the stuff about camelot and especially looking at the presidency now and thinking back on that presidency it's quite hard to imagine a time where you thought maybe this incident would just be blown over and yet it's it's been a defining moment in american history yeah really interesting a really unique perspective on it all and nancy portman is just fantastic i can't believe that people didn't respond well to this film it seems to have been not that well regarded in general people, I think people seem to you, react quite volatile like which is so intense and her performance is you know right at the top level of that she's going for a, a it's not really an imitation it's more like uh, an habitation, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And a sort of expressive version. But what you know, what you're saying about seeing old photos. What's even more wonderful? And I did this straight after the screening at some London cafe, watching the CBS documentary. Yeah, like where she does the tour of the White House. It's unbelievable. There's even an accent expert. Uh, I can't remember who it was. He went through loads of Hollywood accents and, and says it's good Jackie on that. And he did Jackie Kennedy, yeah. yeah. He just said she nailed it right down to little breaths and things. Um, so I'm so glad he liked it, man. Yeah, I'd seriously check it out. And music, I think thumbs up. the music was great. It was unlike anything else I've really heard. it wasn't Oscar nominated, yeah. And yeah, I feel sad that it got overlooked, basically, at the Oscars. I mean, it got nominated, but it oh, didn't Oh, no, win you're it. right. It did, sorry. It yes. did get nominated, but it didn't, didn't win anything, really. And I think my impression generally is that the reason why it hasn't been that well received is perhaps there's a sort of 
emotional attachment to this whole family, this whole incident. And this film, maybe slightly for the American, sheds a negative light on it all. Really? I think so. That was what I was slightly wondering in the back of my mind. Strange, because I didn't feel very negative about any of it. It just felt kind of real and interesting. But is that because Jackie Kennedy is is somebody else's first lady? It's not your first lady. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So I think that's really interesting from an outsider's perspective looking in on America. Anyway, I think it's fantastic. Go check it out. I back you up, Laurie. One plus one to you. Thank you. And I'm going to give it an A. I thought it was... Stunning. It is stunning. Peter Sarsgaard's great as well. He's so grumpy. Yeah, brilliant, really brilliant, good brilliant, as a Bobby brilliant. Kennedy. Yeah, it's surprising as well. You wouldn't think it. Uh, nice. Well, shall I do mine, Phil, so then we can come back to yours as well? Yes. Because that was great. Uh, that was, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> so nice to hear. Because <laughs> I haven't heard anyone else who's really seen it. And yeah. People have got to see it. It's, it's fantastic. Really good. It's on Amazon Prime. So get watching that, listeners, and tell us your thoughts. Uh, okay. I'm going to bring us all down to Earth <laughs> with No, you're going to go to space, aren't you? It's future <laughs> no, film. no, 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 no. Surrogates. Robotic human surrogates combine the durability of a machine with the grace and beauty of the human body. With most people living their lives through their surrogate selves, our world has become a safer place. Take a seat in your STEM chair, and just with the power of your mind, you can control your surrogate and send it out into the real world. You can live your life without limitations. You see what they see, feel what they feel, and become anyone you want to be from the comfort and safety of your own home. You can finally live the life you've always dreamt of without any risk or danger to yourself. We are confronted with an unprecedented situation. Two people have died while connected to their surrogates. I think we may actually have a homicide here. First one in 15 years. The public cannot be allowed to get the idea that using a surrogate can be fatal. Especially if it's true. I just want to know how an operator can be killed by signals from a surrogate. Surrogates have been blown to bits without the least bit of harm to their operators. If it were possible, it would defeat the entire purpose of surrogacy. to be alive good thing you're unplugged how long is it since you've been out without a surrogate can't even remember it's different when you actually feel the pain what do you want from me my wife i am your wife no you're not you changed the world and now you want to destroy it how do i stop this you can't Maggie, get offline. I think something's going to happen. What happens now? Now it's up to you. Yeah, I mean, so you can kind of get a vibe from that film, uh, from that trailer, listeners. Surrogates is a film about Bruce Willis, who's a cop. There's a murder in this futuristic society where everyone sits at home, plugs eye sockets into themselves, and then wanders around the world as robots you know robots that can see and speak and feel and in every way look like real people just with a bit of extra makeup and cgi blurring so they look extra perfect right so you can live as your ideal self but also everything's completely safe because if you're just out there as a robot the worst that can happen is your robot can get banged up and they describe that crime as vandalism not as murder so an actual murder in this society almost unheard of 
and that's what drives the plot. So we follow Bruce Willis's Greer, this hard-bitten detective, as he investigates this murder and tries to patch things up with his wife because things have gone a little bit stale in that department, all that kind of thing. And what is particularly odd about this murder is that it seems to be committed through the surrogates. So someone shoots this weird electric gun at these robots called surrogates, but the people die. The people who are connected to them through the network die in their beds back at home. And everyone's like, oh no, the surrogates are dangerous. Quite an interesting concept so far. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. And you sort of, when you start to put the pieces together in your head about what that society might look like, the ways that things might have changed, that's be quite interesting, wouldn't it? Because it's like a realised version of the internet. Yeah, exactly. In real life, and we're going to come on to that in a minute or two, uh, to add an extra layer to the world, there are these places called, I think they're called the Dreads, uh, and they are zones in which people have rejected surrogate culture. They refuse to do it because they think it's unnatural. And people just need to live as it was originally intended. And they face need to, to face. Exactly. With all the risks of, I don't know, infection, illness, injury, whatever that, that entails, that's how things should be. And they're special cordoned off zones. But there is a radical prophet guy played by Ving Rhames out of Mission Impossible. Um, oh, right. Who's saying, you know, it's not just that this is how things should be, but, you know, the people over there with the Surreys, the surrogates, they're actually a bad thing for the world. So there's the scene setting with a great idea that is so badly executed, it's hard to watch. Really? It's like, how do you turn that into the most B-movie looking a desperate disaster of a f- I mean it's almost amazing even with the cast they've got with Bruce Willis and, and Rosamund Pike and Ving Rhames they've got uh, this guy James Cromwell who's a name you might not recognise but he's a big actor you definitely recognise his face who plays like the eccentric guy who invented them and he's caught up in it all as well great cast great idea terrible execution it's like the cuts are bad there are wonky angles where they don't need to be so it just feels like it's made in the 90s on a, a, for Very about amateur. £100 <laughs> yeah exactly but there are also these weirdly sort of advanced effects because this was made way back in 2008 2009 and so the way that they sort of peel back the skin and there's a robot face and they handle that is quite impressive it's just like the weirdest concoction of things and i I think basically this is what happened when you you just hire the wrong director it's this guy jonathan mosto who directed u571 do you remember that film from the 2000s is that the one which is about a plane no it's about a real boat uh, and in the film, I think there's a controversy about how they make it out to all be American soldiers, but actually it was British people. They stop a sort of German thing before... A, a, a <laughs> one of those things. <laughs> one of those. But it's, it was a film that was quite well regarded, even though it was a bit Hollywoody and it had this controversy. And it looks like he just got a load of chances after that and it's seems to have them all up. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It, I mean, I'm, I'm just basically, that's all that really needs to be said about this film, because it's just how to watch a film lose its audience. And is it just basically down to poor direction? I think so. I think that the whole way everything is composed, the style of it and the way things are edited, even the look of it is just all wrong and it makes it feel tacky. He doesn't spend enough time actually looking into the themes of this world that's been created. It's He makes it into a B-movie action film with sort of Bruce Willis stumbling about or leaping about. and it Shooting just, some guns. Yeah, it just doesn't explore anything that should be explored. Like you said, it could be a metaphor for the internet. It could be a metaphor for social media. It could be so many things. And it's nothing. Yeah, and just gets confused and dissipated so that it becomes meaningless. There's a point in the film where Bruce Willis loses his surrogate, so he has to walk around as a you know a normal man out in the world, and he discovers he gets really anxious because everything's coming at him, and because he's used to be used to doing it safely, and he gets tired, and he's you know physically less attractive to his wife now as well. All that kind of stuff going on, all interesting, but too much and too diffuse. And ah, oh, I mean, I'm getting sort of tired and confused. Is talking the plot about it. any good? No, oh, <laughs> no. Right, okay. it's very obvious, actually. You'll figure it out. And 
it's disappointing that there's no payoff that emerges for anything it's not really worth it listeners it's very findable but probably not worth finding for What's me the grade? it gets a c Ooh. it's really disappointing and bruce willis especially i he mean he loves sci-fi though he's brilliant in 12 monkeys that's one of those he loves films. sci-fi he's quite a risky guy when it comes to sci-fi yeah he chooses Fifth roles Element. that are a bit odd yeah well Looper. bad choice bruce although one thing that is quite fun is seeing him it was almost a bit of um uh, self-aware satire because his surrogate has a floppy hairdo and it's almost and bruce willis famously has got one of the most famous receding hairlines in the business hasn't he it was receding as soon as so, he started yeah exactly so seeing his idealized version of himself is quite <laughs> it's quite funny okay uh right that's enough on that one though all right phil give us your next mystic pizza Cat, Daisy, and Jojo. Three women, each with a different idea about love. If he really loved me, he'd wait. But I guess if I really loved him, I'd marry him. Jojo's lost her head. You think this is going to make me marry you? Do you? Well, it's not because I don't have to marry an ass. It's the 80s. Daisy lost her mind. I'm gonna kill him, you stupid! Hey! My car! Daisy, this is Serena Windsor, my sister. Hi. And Kat just lost her heart. We talk, we read, we listen to Mozart sometimes. You really believe this 30-year-old guy is going to leave his wife and live happily ever after with you? You're living in a romance novel. Joe, you've got Bill. You apparently got brains. All I've got is this and these. If you say that word one more time, I'm going to scream. Married. Don't worry about me. I'm going to be slinging pizza for the rest of my life. The best pizza! Mystic Pizza. What the hell do you think Leona really puts in that pizza? It's love with the works. Oh man, I mean that sounds like a film I want to see. Not just the soundtrack, but ev- everything about the way that trailer's composed makes you think, yes please, let's go back to the time when everything was lovely and fun. Uh, I think this was a film that was suggested by, I think it was David Samuel. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Listen, a, a long while, time ago. A while back, he suggested checking out Mystic Pizza. I don't know if he had seen it or he I just thought it was I think he said it was, it weird... was on Netflix, but he couldn't bring himself to watch it. But he oh, was he really curious it? Okay. to know uh, about Well, it. so I did watch it and I finally got around <laughs> to it and I watched it with Ellie and I loved it. I thought it was great. Oh, uh, Julie Roberts' first uh, on-screen performance and... You might have picked up from that super, super cheesy, no pun intended, trailer that uh, it is about three women who work at a pizza shop in the town of Mystic. That's why it's called Mystic Pizza. So it's not quite as random as it seems, but it's a bad title. Yeah. Um, You kind of picked up the three threads of their lives going on. One of them. Cat and Jojo. So Daisy uh, is just jilted her fiancé at the altar, but she still Ooh. loves him. She's just not ready for marriage. Jojo is the one who is babysitting or nannying at this married guy's house, right. and he, she starts getting feelings for him. And then Kat, who's Julia Roberts, uh, starts dating a rich guy, okay. and she's trying to deal with that. 
I think it's great, great fun movie. Like you say, it's a very warm, welcoming world to enter into. It's like the first season of Friends or something. Yeah, very much so. But I, what I was impressed by is the fact that the script is really good. The characters are very clear. They're, it's a quite a modern sort of film because those three characters are three women who are very strong-minded, very opinionated, and very much keen in doing what they think is right and not listening to other people. Okay. And I can't think of many films that really do do that nowadays if i can shoot you in the feminist foot here though phil because that presumably all their dilemmas are about finding a man though are they not no no i don't think it is okay it's, it's slightly about their relationships that they're pursuing but it's also about their relationships with one another that's cool Great. and it's it's often quite different because you have uh the girl who's interested in a married man is very academic and is a bit of a goody two-shoes in other areas and she's sisters with julia roberts the friend who's jilted the guy at the altar she's desperate to kind of get it on with him and he's like no we should be married which is also very unusual yeah in right the, in current kind of writings and basically the thing which i enjoyed was the characters the characters were really fresh i like the world i thought the script was good i thought the performances across the board were good julia roberts you can so clearly see why she's had a talented and successful she career seems more like she's in erin brockovich mode almost there yeah than, she's got a lot yeah. of sass to her and it's not annoying sass it's kind of like she genuinely seems like a girl who's tough but vulnerable deep down. Sure, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It almost reminded me of like a modern version of Little Women or something like that. <laughs> Maybe and that's what they had in their sights. I don't know. But I would seriously say, don't be put off by the title. Give it a go. It's sort of sort of great in its own unique way as being just a fun, simple, straightforward movie. I love a simple movie. But this has got likeable characters, interesting narratives that aren't really being done at the moment. And I'd say it's actually quite a modern film for what it's dealing with. It's just one of these small stories, mid- mid-range budget films, Phil. Uh, I think it was a low budget. It was They okay. were all like unknown stars and it just happened to hit the right moment and kind of get a bit of attention. But I'm getting a sort of the reason you love it is it's a sort of in good company kind of vibe. No, you know, it's a relationship, but it's also deep and all that kind of stuff. I don't think it is that deep. I think it's just very straightforwardly done and well done. And right. I don't think... I think it's enjoyable and it's worth watching and yeah I'd give it a go I'd check it out David Samuel throwing down the gauntlet if it was you who did yeah. say watch Mystic Pizza uh, check it out and enjoy hey man I might just do that alright what's take a slice um, <laughs> nice. I'm going to give it a B plus I, I think it's a good fun movie and I think I've been secretly hankering for this sort of movie you're completely absent from the cinema basically isn't it instead you're getting a bad mum's Christmas yeah it seems to be that the, the films which are traditionally for women uh, sorry, listeners. I did an air quotes around you did, that. Yeah, yeah. But you, you can't hear them. You were making a point. <laughs> they don't translate on. I know it's That's annoying. The weird thing. Um, but they just seem to be been completely replaced by this sort of gross out female led comedies. And I think there's still room and a market for a kind of genuinely nice romantic film. It's, or, it's weird because you said, and actually it's odd, it's more films that, in, like I'm doing air quotes as well, Phil, more recent films that are traditionally recently for men that do that. Like things like I Love You Man, do you remember that film? Yeah. Which is actually kind of that's that more like the film you're describing, but it has the gross out stuff in it as well. Yeah, I just think go for something clean and fun and this isn't necessarily that clean but it is fun and it's and it feels quite honest in its okay. own sort of you kind of simple way there we go listeners if you've seen it let us know whether phil's on the money or way off base man and give him a plus one or a minus one superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros and listeners if you do want to suggest films that we watch 
do suggest them and uh if possible suggest where we can watch them as well oh, yeah right uh, we will try and watch them but it just we just have to fit it in and we've got to try and make sure that it's possible do you know Phil, I, um i've got legend of 1900 that is coming up next i nearly did it this week and there's a listener out there who's been asking for that for ages don't worry i'm on it it took me a long time to find it but i got it now yes um, justwatch.com slash uk is brilliant it'll show you where you can watch almost anything legally which is very important on this show there mm. we go that's it that's what we've been watching this week emails next film song quick emails from females and maybe some males yeah. wow sir <laughs> okay <laughs> did not see that coming we've actually got just for that i'm gonna read you a tweet that we got uh today which says it's from rose she says at super baby bros the email song phil was singing in the last episode was to the tune of memories from the musical cats with oh. a little cat emoji and a laughing and crying emoji so i think she liked it oh good <laughs> i realized it was from something but i didn't know what it was and rose if you can find anything in reality that corresponds to what phil just sung then you're uh, you're a genius that's a phil bailey classic <laughs> uh okay well as we said listeners very few emails because we're recording this days after the podcast came out but here is one from cal who got in touch and said listening to your last podcast this is on oh yeah no our last week's podcast because he goes on to say shadow of the colossus was indeed one of the most beautiful and cinematic games but you're a little off on your price estimation these days shadow of the colossus can now be picked up for under 10 pounds pre-owned or the new remastered release is coming out for 30 pounds i think you said 60 didn't you i remember googling it a couple of years ago because i really wanted to play it and i couldn't find it but that is good news i would like to play it so this is when I kind of wish we were a really, really big show because like fans would send us got the game. Of stuff. <laughs> I Imagine. thought maybe if somebody sent me a copy of it, I got to play it. But no, I will buy it myself as I should. There's no, no entitlement well, He's here. actually very helpfully to prove his point. It's very detailed email. So thank you very much, this Cal. Sent us a screenshot where it's very clearly available for £30. So okay. yeah, doable. Thank you, Cal. I, I'm intrigued by it. I chatted to Phil about it. I hadn't heard about it. He said it's brilliant. I looked up the reviews. It does seem brilliant. Let's do it. I really think it could make a very good TV show show or a, a good solid two-hour movie do you think anyone will listen to a super belly bros do games podcast phil mm, no time i don't though. think that's we, the problem don't we, yeah it? we don't have time for this oh, stuff man dear, dear, dear. okay all right thanks very much cal uh, that's the only email this week listeners and we've got a few tweets so alistair tweeted again and he's been in touch to say saw the new thor last night and it was irreverent the funniest marvel film yet and a refreshing nutty space romp easily in my top three marvel films and chris hemsworth has never been better him and hulk were fantastic and sets up next avengers nicely i really think thor would have jumped way up the charts on the hottest superhero around after thor ragnarok i think it will be a crowd pleaser and in some ways it's a shame they didn't manage to sort this sort of thor out earlier so that Mm. then the next thor film would be good but i think they're kind of heading towards a collision course of maybe the whole franchise is being shaken up I wonder whether we're going to see some of the outliers just get chopped off as well. I that... wonder if they're going to cut the main cast and start with the new, fresh, cheaper ones. Do you think so? Yeah. Cheaper, that's the I word, genuinely, genuinely it? wouldn't surprise me if that's the case. Because Tony Stark, you know, I've had enough of that guy. I had enough of him after Iron Man 1. And he is an expensive star and an expensive character to have in the films. I bet he is, yeah. I must be actor. Hu- is he really? Yeah, he got um, a percentage deal when he did Tony Stark, the first one, Iron Man 1. played that one well. He's experienced though, isn't he? And now he's got a percentage of a billion dollar film, one of the highest grossing films there is. I think he got like 50 million or something last year. That is ridiculous. You wouldn't need to work. Why bother? Exactly. Uh, Chris Evans, I'm sure he's up there. Okay, let's not do this now. But yes, I'm glad you really liked it, Alistair. And we would reiterate that. I, I know some people, the comments I've seen since we did our review, not to us, but in general about Thor, 
people are annoyed that it doesn't take itself seriously enough. I think uh, that's are... my main point. That it does, it does take. Yeah, it seriously. and well, I agree with you, Phil. But in a very specific style, I think actually there are people who just think all superior films should be played like the Dark Knight or whatever. And I, you know, I cannot get on board with that. I... But it's interesting that Justice League, which is coming out soon, is really, really trying to up the the fun factor. Yeah. Well, they tried that in Suicide Squad as well, just too late. But I think I think Justice League is going to tank. Well, we'll wait and see. I, I thought it looked all right in the trailer. I did. Okay, oh. Esther got in touch. As you baby bros. Oh, Rachel's comment last week about Blade Runner highlights again, here's the email, that you guys really shouldn't save all the positives to the end and start with the negatives. So I hope our review of the murder on the Orient Express reoriented uh, that uh, problem. <laughs> oh. But I have to admit, I'm worried about that because I think actually you forget the stuff at the beginning of the review much quicker than the stuff at the end of it. So we started with all the positives and then just laid into the film for the whole of the rest of the review. And then we give our grade and people are like, what? You That's give it right. an A plus after all that? Well, well said, because she goes on to say, my husband also commented he couldn't believe such a negative review ended up in a pretty positive grade. It's difficult. This is a hard job to do job. and not to throw a little pity party <laughs> for it. But it is quite hard to be, uh, yeah, dealing with things in a positive, fair way, when you, what, you're, what you're really trying to do is give an opinion, give a kind of critique of it. Mm. And sometimes the things which are more obvious don't feel like they need to be said. Okay, and she also says she's got more reviews coming our way because she's going on a flight. Well, oh. enjoy. I haven't had a long-haul flight to watch films on for a long time, and I, it's one of my favourite things. Yes, I remember watching The Karate Kid once and then not <laughs> seeing the ending, and it was actually upsetting. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know how to watch the ending, so I still oh, haven't man. seen the end of that Jane Smith Karate Kid reboot. Do you know something that happens on planes quite a lot? And this is almost a, one of these features that we could do, because it happens on trains now as well. But I remember, uh, particularly when I did have to do a, long haul, a few long-haul flights for my job, uh, you got used to not just watching the film on your screen, but subtly seeing what the people next to you are watching, but because you can't hear it. The film experience is really different because you're trying to piece together in your mind what's happening based solely on the visuals. Have you ever done that? Mm. And it is weird. I remember when I went on my honeymoon, uh, Judith was watching a Woody Allen film from Rome with Love, I think it's called. Oh, yeah, yeah, with uh, Jesse Eisenberg. That's right. And it was really, I could not for the life of me figure out what was going on, particularly with Jesse Eisenberg's character. Is it with um, Ellen Page? I think it's with Kristen Stewart. It might be one of the, yeah. And it... It was just really interesting. So I want to know if listeners have done that before. Because on trains, everyone watches stuff on their iPad now. Or yeah, that's as well. true. Sometimes you, if somebody's watching my movie, I'll put subtitles on. Yeah, so they can enjoy it. Oh, yeah. very benevolent. I like watching movies with subtitles in general. Yeah, um, I don't think so. Because oh, if right, you're waiting... Sorry. No, I don't enjoy I've got a thing on this. Is we're just rambling now, Phil. But like, if someone's going to deliver a line in a specific way, you've already read it if the subtitles are there. That is true. We watched the Alan Partridge movie with subtitles. That was a mistake. What? Why would you do that? But you were there, my friend. I was going to see at the cinema. We didn't realise it was like I a was hard of hearing version. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't recall. And that. it meant that you saw all the jokes on the screen. It does wreck the punchline somewhat. Yeah, okay. still a funny movie though. Listeners, thank you very much for sending stuff our way. Please do keep doing that. Superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on Twitter. You know, you've got plenty of time to send it. We're not going to record again on Monday. I hope, although we might do. It might be that we rejig when it's released or maybe something like that. Maybe we should release this one a bit earlier, anyway, Phil. How about if that? If you got time, release I could it. Release it on maybe Wednesday or something. Ooh. Oh. That's so lame. Let's cut that bit out and move on. (laughs) Nope. All right, let's go. Listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. That was episode 45 of season two of Super Betty Bros in Movie Land. Are we doing anything big for the 100? 
Oh, good question. I actually started thinking about that. It's only five episodes away. We're going to have to do something. I actually think we could do another best of thing, Phil. Like oh, has there uh, been that much best? Yeah, well, it's been a whole year's worth of content. There's going to be something in it. <laughs> what if it's all the first half that's been good, though? It could be that. I first 50. That would be sad, wouldn't it? Listeners, if you've got some ideas of things which you've really lo- like, actually enjoyed, let us know. It's so hard to judge what's actually been good. I can't even remember it. That's my problem. <laughs> I know. Listeners, let us know your thoughts on Murder on the Orient Express or on Bad Mom's Christmas. If you do go and see it, please big me up on that because I think a lot of people will enjoy it. Uh, next week, Paddington 2. Yo, next week, Paddington 2. Yeah, I've already seen it and only The Brave as well. What are you going to watch? Don't know. Paddington 2, maybe. Oh, it. yes, I will try and catch up on that, actually. We're worth doing if you can. A lot of people are asking about it. What are we watching films again? Yeah, Jackie and Surrogates and... Mystic Pizza. Mystic Pizza. Always keep your thoughts coming in, listeners. We love to hear whatever you're thinking about. If you've got general comments on the film industry or films or whatever, just get them in. Yeah, we love hearing from from you and you guys make it so much better of a show yeah seriously you do and what's that thing you wanted you want it when you watch a film then you read the book and the book makes you hate the film yeah or, or just less of it just anything with that whole dynamic what do you do with it that's the one okay get your emails and tweets in and have a great week we'll speak to you soon that's all for now bye Right, we've both got bonuses, but Phil, let's see if we can save some of our content, because we've got to think of more every time. Right, let's have a little flip the coin moment then. I'll set mine up. Mine's about pigeons. Good start. That is a good start. There's a lot of stuff to be said about pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> I do actually think that. Well. <laughs> right, okay. Come on, all right. What's yours then? No, no, no. You, let's just Oh, we just stick with pigeons. Oh, Go that's a lot pigeons. of pressure now. I like it when you're doing yours, because if mine sucks, you just edit it out and do yours. No, anyway. I've, never, I've never edited out a bonus of yours, I don't think. Have you not? I don't I think, think so. you have. I don't think so. Anyway. Basically, my thing is pigeons suck. They're rubbish. They're really the worst. And I'm sick and tired of pigeons embarrassing me and making me feel like an emasculated fool when they do that stupid little flighty up thing in your face. And you're like, they're getting weird and freaky out because there's a bird in my face. And everyone else around you is like, why are you being weird? And yet at the same time, I still judge those people when they freak out because there are pigeons near them when Mm. it's not me. And so I'm my own worst critic. I criticise myself. I create the environment that I wish not to be a part of pigeons and they scare you do they or is it the shock it's the ones when they fly like really close to your face and you just do you you duck down an overtop way or do you just kind of creep out yeah i really do i kind of do that lame thing where you tuck your arms in like a tyrannosaurus rex and go (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, i know the ones and i feel like such a fool the least effective uh natural instinct in the world (laughs) curling up into a ball (laughs) but it's so Uh, annoying because they just do it last minute and sometimes they're just the worst and they fly in really low and you look super lame getting out their way my wife uh shares this loathing with you phil and you know she will react terribly if a pigeon's even a couple of meters away and looks like it might fly <laughs> she really but genuinely she really hates birds and she, oh right okay. and i think in particular it's the flapping she uh, doesn't like the sense that they're not in control and the sensation the imagined sensation of wings flapping at your face Ugh. i think she hates that yeah and I, I i agree with it it's interesting you mentioned that though because this is, this is a terrible this is going to make me sound like an idiot even more of an idiot that everyone knows that i already am i've once eaten pigeons. i had no, no, well, I have. I have. I've oh, of pigeon. course you yeah, have. I have. I didn't enjoy it, but I have had pigeon. No, it was. I had exactly the opposite experience coming out of the Paddington 2 screening <laughs> because I, wa- I was walking down a busy road in London and a pigeon flew literally like about 10 centimetres from my head. Didn't even flinch. And <laughs> I, li- I literally guy. thought to myself... <laughs> Yeah, in your face, pigeon. Not even that. I, it was more like in your face, everyone. <laughs> I'm the real man. Didn't phase me at all. It's like I'm, I'm, the, I'm, in I'm a god amongst men. In control of all my surroundings. That pigeon wouldn't dare touch me. I get more annoyed with them in cars. 
because in I, cars, not in cars. cars. <laughs> that would be terrible. More like when I'm driving and they just they look like they're not going to move. And there's that part of me that maybe everyone has this where you think you're about to experience the boom oh, of uh, running oh. over something, but they always get out of the way just in time. Stupid pigeons. Also, the way they eat is just annoying. Like, you know, when they peck it a couple of times, then they fling it somewhere, like, really <laughs> far away. And then they just follow after it, go, and they just fling it again. It's really annoying. I don't know why, but it really bothers me. Like, just moderate your pecs. Anyway, that's, that's my thing on pigeons. Poor <laughs> pigeons.